It's not always easy to find the positive. You might even need to search for happiness. Sometimes, just a little inspiration can make the difference. Here, it comes from unexpected places. Welcome to the Tangential Inspiration Podcast. Two moms looking for inspiration wherever, wherever we, we can, can find it. it. So, Teresa, how have you been? It seems like we it's, don't uh, see each other too much. I know. We need to change yeah. that. But good. I yeah. you inspired me to make a milk bar recipe that oh, was in People magazine. Fun. Which one did you um, make? It was like pumpkin la leche bars. Yeah. And it was super easy, which oh, surprised me. Good. And they were just devoured on oh. our Halloween party. Everybody. Yeah, they were very good. So fun. you inspired me to make some milk bar. <laughs> I didn't but <laughs> Christina. Josie. So I'm gonna talk a little bit about Tony Hawk, which I know you're a big fan. You know a lot more about Tony Hawk than I do, but his skate park project. Oh, fun. I don't know about that. That's cool. My mother-in-law sent me a story. Oh, I love it. This is episode 107, and I'll be going to be talking about Dr. Jackie Lewis, her new book, Fierce Love. And then later, I'm going to be talking about a $100 million campaign aimed at fixing Jesus' brand. Hmm. Yeah, I'm interested in yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> so, Amy, you're usually the one that finds all the great local stories. Yeah. And I'm always jealous. But my mother-in-law, Barbara, sent me a story that kind of gets into your turf. You talked about Tony Hawk before. You've chatted yeah. with him on the podcast and what a kind and generous guy he is. And for those of you who don't know about Tony Hawk. He's a world famous skateboarder who's won, I don't know how many world championships. A lot. A lot, in, yeah. In skateboarding. And although he's retired from competitive skateboarding, he's still very much involved in the skateboarding world. His new project is the Skate Park Project, which is, is a new version of his Tony Hawk Foundation. Uh, okay. Which started cool. in 2002. I think you've chatted about that. Tony won $125,000 on a celebrity edition of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, and he used it to start a foundation to help kids through skateboarding. The Skate Park Project was created in the wake of the George Floyd killing by police in 2020. Tony sees the skate park set as a community gathering place where people of all walks of life can come together and just be skaters. Oh, yeah. Which, how awesome. I mean, great concept. But Tony's not just throwing money at a project and building a skate park. He's creating a force of skaters that will learn how to build a skate park and pass that knowledge on to others. Tony describes these groups as part of a fellowship. For each park, he'll pick 12 diverse skaters to train and work together to build a skate park. And beyond the lesson, it's very cool. Beyond the lesson of building a skate park, these fellowship members will learn about community organization, including working with local governments, dealing with permitting, right. getting volunteers, and community outreach, not to mention project management skills. Tony specifically looks for people in the skating community from different backgrounds, which I love, Yeah, ensuring that minorities are well represented including people of color, indigenous people, and members of the LGBTQ community. The program's purpose is not just to build skate parks, but to build community and young minority leaders. Tony freely admits that when he started out skating, it was definitely a white boy sport. Since the 80s and 90s, that has changed dramatically. Not only is skateboarding no longer a white sport, it's definitely not just a boy sport either. I remember you talking about that 
that little girl. Right. Girl skaters are very common now. There are some superstar female skateboarders that have a huge fan base. Tony says, with this program, we're engaging these kids not only to advocate for a skate park for their own use, but to realize that their voices can matter, that they can affect change. If you're a city looking for more projects that are inclusive, that are diverse, I think skateboarding is at the top of the list these days. So, like I said, there's a local tie-in here. One of these skate park projects is happening here in northeast Portland. Wow. Well, I'll have to tell Ryan because he... He'll be over there. He still skateboards a little bit against my... Yeah. My better liking. Yeah. <laughs> He's a friend that Don't fall, Ryan. Yeah. These local young adults will be working with Tony and other members of the skateboard project to plan, organize, and build out a community skate park, which is, I just think, yeah. so cool that and it's going to be here. And good for Portland, too. Exactly. Build with something community. We've been in the news, not necessarily positively, right. so this will be something good for us. And back in 2011, Tony Hawk donated $10,000 to a group from Sisters High School oh. to build a skate park in Sisters, Oregon. Wow. Which isn't, That's you know, not too far. Probably, yeah, about two and a half hours from here. Another thing the skate park project is doing is teaming up with the Fort Apache Indian Reservation in Whitewater, Arizona to build a $200,000 skate park on the reservation. Oh. Douglas Miles Jr., who's an Apache and a skater helped start this program with lots of fundraising and got the skate park project involved. Douglas has helped design the skate park and the skate park project is providing much of their financing. They've repurposed an old jail facility at the base oh. for the park and have been building it up into a world-class skate park. So, Very so many loves cool. to love yeah. this story. The hope is to get more indigenous people into skating and create a place where young people can just hang out and yeah. enjoy the sport together. Which I just think, what a great, yeah. great so program. Very cool. Yes, very cool. So I'm glad my mother-in-law sent that. That was a good find. Before I get started, I just, for little ears that might be listening, there's just some sensitive topics that might be discussed in this one. So a couple months back, I got a book recommendation. I love it from Amazon. Yeah, it's you know what you like. It's based on the previous book purchases. Mm -hmm. The book Amazon suggested was Fierce Love, A Bold Path to Ferocious Courage and Rule-Breaking Kindness That Can Heal the World by Reverend Dr. Jackie Lewis. Well, if that title doesn't grab you, I don't know what will. Reverend Lewis starts her book discussing what she describes our current conditions as hot mess times, which I kind of agree. Uh, yes, I like that. <laughs> Description. I don't like it. But. Yes, it's, it kind of co covers it. But she's noting even before the pandemic, we have become divided on race, ethnicity, color, gender, sexuality, and socioeconomic, just to name a few. Mm -hmm. She begs the question, putting aside the shallow differences of we – against them and ask, who are we to be? Jackie draws inspiration from the spirit of Ubuntu is a concept that comes from the Zulu phrase, Amuntu Gamuntu Gabantu, which literally means that is a, per a person is a person through other people. Or it can mean I am who I am because we are who we are. She believes by channeling this sort of ancient wisdom, we can create a love revolution which, let's face it, we are in desperate need for some life-changing transformation or yeah. fierce love. Yeah. Desperate is right. Desperate. I mean, her book is filled with stories, mainly about her own awakening, 
where she confronts and makes amends with herself, her family, her community, and God. Every chapter has incredible quotes at the beginning. And Teresa, chapter one, entitled, Love Yourself Unconditionally, it all starts here, had a quote by one of your favorite people, Lucille Ball, who said, love yourself and everything else falls into line. I just love that. That's true. Jackie points out this is a tall order, right? I mean, one, I struggle with the self-love business, but she says that it's not only essential, it, it takes daily practice. It is hard. Our individual as well as our collective story shape who we are. And it can make it hard for any of us to love ourselves, especially when it comes to our history of racism, Mm -hmm. which hurts all of us. Absolutely. As well as some other negative national narratives, she discusses like white is right, grab power by any means necessary, God is Christian, which this statement doesn't include other religions that are practiced here in the U.S., queer is wrong, and women are the weaker sex. This sort of negativity makes it difficult to create a just and loving society. Jackie writes about how we need to dig deep and learn from these stories. By writing this book, she drew from her own experiences. One painful story from kindergarten, it was 1964, and her family lived on Pease Air Force Base in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Her school was on the base, and she loved school and her teacher, Miss Easley. Well, until spring... A girl named Lisa from Mississippi moved on the base and was in Jackie's class. Lisa said the most horrific thing to one of Jackie's friends about Jackie. Lisa said, you're not supposed to be friends with her, you know. She's a nasty N-word. And she gets chocolate milk from her mama's tits. Now, it's it's hard to even say this. So, yeah. And so Jackie said she had no idea... You know, you know, she'd never heard that word before, and it made her feel just. She described it feeling nasty, Mm. but she said she had no idea where this, where she heard this phrase. But she fired back, "White cracker, white cracker, you don't shine. I bet you five dollars I can beat your behind." Now, at this young Mm. age, Jackie didn't understand the ugliness of racism, nor did Lisa. Jackie writes, "It was as though she and Lisa were in a grown-up play." interacting in ways with words that were scripted for them. She told her parents that night at dinner what Lisa had said to her. Her mom explained that, you know, people may not like you because you're a Negro, and that's silly. Her mom said, God loves you, we love you, and you're special. Her mom also said, we don't call people names, we don't do that. Jackie's mom took the sting out of Lisa's bigotry. Her dad went to the base and reported the incident. He demanded Lisa apologize to Jackie and that her father apologize to him. Her parents showed her how to be an activist. I love that. I know. I mean, this is 1964. I love it. Her dad was demanding respect and reparations. Jackie also reflects that she wondered how they knew how to handle this situation. For They must have also been traumatized, you know? Yeah. She writes that her parents mirrored what the late Congressman John Lewis, who we talked about in episode three, he said, when you see something that is not right, not fair, you have to speak up. You have to say something. You have to do something. Jackie dives into self-love. You know, to be good to others, you must practice being good to yourself. Self-love goes in, in our tank when we are seen, known, and loved. She gives examples of celebrating an employee with, great job, thank you, 
This adds to the story of their career and mirrors their giftedness that will fill their tank of self-love and may even propel them up the corporate ladder. Or when we see a performance in a theater, we stand and applaud the performers, letting them know we see their creativity. This also means we need to have people who can hold up a mirror and let us know we are seen and heard in order to feel loved. And that fills our love tank. Jackie talks about visiting Robben Island, the South African prison where Nelson Mandela was confined to a tiny cell for 18 months of the 27 years he was behind bars. 27 years. He understood that just as hate is taught, love must be taught. Jackie says, for some folks, to talk about love may sound weak. She states, love is the strongest force on the planet. Sometimes this may be some kind of a gentle self-love, like reflecting on your younger self with compassion. It can also mean looking at old wounds. Jackie writes about, as a child, she got spanked twice as a young girl. Her dad's anger made her work hard to be good. Her dad had grown up with a stepfather who taught him about beatings. And sadly, that is part of his story, and therefore Jackie's. When she was turning 18, she came home from Northwestern University for Memorial Day holiday, which her birthday usually falls around the long weekend. Her sister, Wanda, was getting on her dad's nerves. Jackie thought her dad was being too hard on her, and she spoke up. Her dad knocked her off her chair to the floor and pounced on her. Oh, my gosh. Her mom intervened, and then her dad said, pack your shit. Uh, Jackie said that scarred her and left a hole in her self-love tank. Well, yeah. And as they, you know, as people say, hurt people, hurt mm-hmm. people. It is also part of her story that causes her to overfunction and be super good. Mm-hmm. Something she admits she's still responding to being knocked off the chair even today. Beyond the, the wounds from discipline, she knows her parents loved her. Yet she talks about how her and her four siblings who experienced their mom and dad in unique ways. No family's perfect. She strongly believes we can look at our stories, the good, the bad, the ugly, and gain wisdom. We can hopefully write new stories where we can heal, learn to love ourselves, and flourish. She points out self-love lasts a lifetime. It's ongoing work, not one and done. Part of this journey is to have different people in your life that can help you to self-reflect and tell your stories. Maybe it's a mentor or a counselor or close friends. Part of sharing your story, she talks about speaking the truth. Jackie shares right before her mom passed away, they shared precious moments. Her mom spoke words of admiration, words of understanding and grace. Her mom helped Jackie to see herself as she saw her. They talked about a wound from childhood when Jackie was sexually abused by a family friend. In those last moments together, Her mom said she was sorry it happened, sorry that Jackie felt shame and blame. Jackie said it was a gift she needed. Even though Jackie had shared what happened to her years before, she struggled with some anger at her mom. She felt like her mom should have known. Don't moms know everything? The wonderful thing during this last few days um, of her mom's life, they found the space to speak truths. The bottom line is Jackie writes, the truth will set you free. Which is so true. Absolutely. Another part of self-love is downsizing our burdens. The heavy bricks of pain, which she calls in her, like, suitcase. She talks about religious baggage. Her church life felt filled with what not to do. 
She brought this baggage and other stuff stuff into her marriage to Paul. Early in their marriage, they were in a car crash and survived. However, their marriage came to an end after seven years. It was hard because both their parents weren't supportive of their marriage. Jackie's dad protested the marriage the most. He was furious his daughter was marrying a white man and held a grudge and wouldn't go to her wedding or talk to her. Oh, my gosh. That's terrible. After Jackie's divorce, she had a desperate moment and almost took her own life, forcing her to face the pain and loss over her divorce as well as some old wounds. She started to see a counselor who helped her examine those bricks of pain. She likens the experience with the counselor as midwifing her into a new, lighter version. One thing she discovered that was missing from her childhood that she was parentified, I mean, caring for her siblings at the young age of nine, this was one of the sources for her to overfunction. Her counselor suggested she reach out to her parents and fill these holes with parental support and nurture to ask her parents to show up in new ways. This time with her parents finally became known as Jackie time. I love it, which helped her heal. Another place of healing, Jackie found her people in Berean, a historic African-American Presbyterian church in Philadelphia. She ended up having a conversation with Reverend Cooper, who saw her calling in her face and said, that's why you're here. Jackie was seen. Later, the church leaders affirmed her call to ministry, and she started with announcements and readings and sermons. Reverend Cooper, or Jerry, as she called him, took Jackie to visit Princeton, New Jersey, to check out their seminary. He thought it was where she should go. She met the campus pastor, Reverend Michael Livingston. Jackie was scared to tell him that she was divorced and that she wouldn't be good enough for God. Jackie shared her story, her upbringing, her struggles with perfectionism, and how she felt unsure if she was fit to serve God. Michael told her she was exactly what God was looking for. God is calling her because of who she is, not in spite of who she is. His idea of religion was new. She was an inextricable part of love, not only her, but all people, no matter how they name God or if they name God at all. Now, that's fierce Mm -hmm. love. That's inclusiveness, right? I love that. That's That's Everybody, My, yeah, everybody's involved. I can get behind that. Yeah, I love this. It just, it spoke to my heart. <laughs> For sure, I see why. Her first semester at Princeton Theological Seminary, she confronted questions from women preaching to gay ordination. She would think, what does the Bible say? She went to the scripture about being or not being gay, the text with the purity code. She read about not eating pork or shellfish about avoiding mixed fabrics and not touching a woman during menstruation, and that men should not lie down with a man as a woman. She questioned why single out the text relating to gay sex when we wear mixed fabrics, still engage with women while they're having their periods, and eating shrimp and barbecue ribs. (laughs) She realized that seminary was about learning and unlearning what God meant to say in guiding human life. She read a book by Chris Glaser, who's a gay man who could not get ordained because he was gay and out about it. After reading his story, Jackie said it was clear Chris was born gay, thus gay by design. He hadn't broken any laws. To Jackie, this meant that if any of us are created in the divine image, that included her gay friends too. She found kinship with her LGBTQ colleagues and her heart expanded. I love that. Heart expanded. Yeah. Their struggles converted Jackie from, what does the Bible say, to 
What is the context in which the Bible says that? Does it make sense? Does it square with love? She dove into the Bible looking for truth. And I love this. This is direct, like a blood transfusion. (laughs) After she graduated from seminary, Jackie was called to start a new church in Trenton, New Jersey, together with a group of others who were assigned to leave their home church for three years and start a new one. They made their church in an old abandoned building and named it Imani Community Church. Imani means faith in Swahili. It was a group of multi-ethnic band of leaders who started this church with Afro-centric ethics, Ubuntu ethics, and love. They became a lifelong family. Jackie writes that during this time, she accepted the Bible is not literal, but full of wisdom, stories, proverbs for reflection and encouragement. She also accepted partnerships with Jews, Christians, Muslim, agnostics, and atheists. Jackie realized that there is nothing so special about the work of fierce love that she had to be perfect to do it. She accepted herself, and she was ready and able to be a revolutionary lover, not because she was shiny, but because she was loved. Now, Jackie, highlight. I want to highlight. That. I know. I mean, yeah. it's it. I love. It that. takes the pressure yeah. off. You know, it's everybody. It's mm-hmm. Now Jackie is at Middle Church in New York City. It's one of the oldest churches in America, built in 1892, founded in 1628. Wow. Jackie is the first African-American, first person of color, and first woman hired in 2004 as a senior minister in charge. It's the church's mission to dismantle injustice. Part of their leadership team are two African-American women, one black Puerto Rican woman, and two white men, of them their first openly gay senior minister. They offer food pantries and fight for a living wage. They work to rebuild Puerto Rico and fight for justice on the Mexican border. They work on interfaith relationships between Muslims, Christians, and Jews, and they work for the LBGTQIA plus justice and gender equality. Jackie says the most important reparation Middle Church has done is to put anti-racist at the center of their identity, their vision, and their mission. And I love the description of the congregation, that their diversity looks like a subway whose worship feels like good therapy. I love on their website, under their name, Middle Church, in quotes, it says, just love. Then above the physical address, it says, love God, period. Love neighbor, period. Love self, period. Love, period. Period, period. (laughs) I mean, I have to say, I love reading this book. It gave me hope when I needed it most, right here, right now. And it's kind of funny. A song kept popping on the radio and buzzing in my head as I read this book. God is in the story by Big Daddy Weave and Katie Nicole. The lyrics, God is in this story. God is in the details. Even in the broken parts, he holds my heart. He never fails. I especially love the lyric, God is in my story. I'm sure you've heard that on the radio too, but it, it hit my I'm heart. I'm terrible at hearing lyrics, so I probably wouldn't recognize it once I heard it. But You probably would, but no. you know, it hit my heart, I think, because she kept talking about story, and it just, as I read this book, it just really uh, resonated, but, and and we, and anyway, and we talk so much about feeling lost in our faith communities, mm-hmm. and even in our friend groups over yeah. politics, yeah. you know. This book gave me ways to be a bridge between we and them, kind of a roadmap to self-reflection to kind of deal with my wounds, 
you know, to really see myself, maybe love myself, and hopefully I can see and love others more fully. And it finally just gave me a broader perspective of faith and community. It's just really a starting place. And I'm just so grateful for Reverend Jackie Lewis sharing her journey into this revolutionary fierce love that hopefully can heal the world. And I just hope lots of people read this book. (laughs) Sounds good. I still need to read it, even (laughs) though you read it and gave me the cliff notes. Loving yourself will help you to be curious about others, compassionate toward others, as gracious to your neighbor as you are to yourself. Reverend Jackie Lewis. Ryan shared this story with me about a $100 million advertising campaign that aims to fix damage to Jesus brand from followers. Wow. (laughs) First off, I've never heard of Jesus brand. Well, Jesus as a brand. Oh, okay. You know? You know, and I think that's an amazing idea and an impressive financial endeavor and really a wild and crazy outreach. And needed. And needed. Sorry to say, but needed. seen any of the commercials or ads? They're... I don't think I okay. have. I don't watch commercials, and I, yeah. Okay. Well, um, I've seen a few. He Gets Us campaigns launched this year have been all over the country and on the web. Billboards with messages like, Jesus let his hair down too. Jesus went all in too. They've been posted in New York City and Las Vegas. The He Gets Us campaign is funded by Signature, a Christian foundation based in Kansas, One of the chief architects of the campaign, John Lee, hopes to start a movement of people who want to tell a better story about Jesus and act like him. Uh, John said our goal is to give voice to the pent-up energy of like-minded Jesus followers, those who are in the pews and those that aren't, who are ready to reclaim the name of Jesus from those who abuse it to judge, harm, and divide people. I'm just like, yay! (laughs) They created ads featuring black and white online videos about Jesus as a rebel, an activist, or a host of a dinner party. It's been viewed more than 300 million times. Now it's going to be 300 million plus Plus one. Got to go look it up. The campaign has done extensive market research and found that while Americans, you know, like Jesus, they're skeptical of his followers. The really cool thing is they're offering for those who see the ads, they can contact the campaign and get connected with Bible study resources to check out the story of Jesus for themselves, you know. So far, about 30,000 have signed up for Bible study plans. Of those, more than half have completed the Bible studies. Those reading the Bible study plans can help, you know, get in touch with Mm -hmm. the real story and the real message of Jesus, which it's really all about. Yeah. I I just think this is such a creative and powerful way. And more like how we are. Yeah. Versus... Why right. some things have transpired. So yes. I thought that was oh, kind that's of interesting. interesting. That's another good find. Yeah. You'll have to thank Ryan yeah. for us. We are not responsible for what breaks us, but we can be responsible for what puts us back together again. Archbishop Desmond Tutu. Thanks for listening to Tangential Inspiration. We really want to hear from you. Email us your comments or story suggestions at tangentialinspiration at gmail.com or leave a comment on our website, tangentialinspiration.com. Our website has all our podcast episodes, show notes, stories, follow-ups, and links to websites and books we talk about. Like and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app, and you can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Have a great week.